Hey, Hoagie's Garage, Tobe. Final one of the night. We made it. We're yep. down to the final stretch here. Yep. So. Heck, let's see. I, uh, I'll be home. I'll be home way before 10. <laughs> well, I guess I shouldn't say that. I don't know how long these gentlemen will go. Don't know. Yeah. But so. it should be fun because you get two guys together that know each other. Sometimes you never know what's going to happen. Absolutely. You know, and I got to thank Austin Lloyd. Austin Lloyd said, hey, you know, you really need to try and get these two guys and see if they'd come on your show at the same time. So um, we have uh, Steve Sinclair, and he is the president of the IRA, yep. um, racing out in Wisconsin, and yeah, I'm the, not sure where they all race. Illinois, Minnesota. Minnesota. Illinois. I don't know if they slip into Ohio a little bit. I don't know. I don't know. And then the other one, They're on we're going to have, we have fun because the other one is Steve. Yep. But I believe it's Beitler, and that's really bad of me for not knowing that, Toe. But, but we uh, never know. Um, so we're going to call this the Steve and Bud Show. Because <laughs> your name is actually Steve. That's the name Mom gave me. So, so. so Tree Steves. Yeah, the Trey Steves and Bud. Yeah. So This could be interesting. It will be. <laughs> so... And uh, Steve, I you know, not sure what he's doing, but after his racing days with the World of Outlaws and stuff, he went, I should say Beitler, um, bought Skagit, I believe, and now I think he's recently retired. I think he's sold that to Redeems, but we'll find all that out in this podcast. But, hey, this is going to be a lot of fun, Tom. I think so. All right, we're back at Hoagie's Garage, and we're going to make this one a little confusing for us because we have Steve Beitler and Steve Sinclair on, so we got to keep it straight somehow. So how are you guys doing tonight, fellas? We're doing pretty good. Doing great. Doing great. Good. So are we. We're talking racing, so we're having a lot of fun. It, just to make things even worse is my sidekick, his nickname is Toby, but his real name is yeah. Steve. So we really have three <laughs> Steves on tonight. Wow. <laughs> so... But nobody knows me by Steve, so we're okay. Perfect. <laughs> uh, so if it's all right with you guys, I'm if I'm directing a question or if Toby is, we're probably going to use your last names. Is that is that all right? Sure. All right. So I think we're going to start with Sinclair with the with the IRA. When did you become president, and how long have you been running it? Uh, nineteen ninety three. Uh, is when I took it over, and it's been around since 1966. Okay. Okay. And you're still running it today, right? I am, uh, shockingly, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So, before you started running the IRA, were you racing yourself, or how did you get involved in racing? Uh, I grew up in it. My dad was an engine builder for several different types of race cars, you know, for everything from drag cars to road racing cars, and started doing midgets and sprint motors and i uh started hanging out at the sprint races with them and uh just kind of got addicted and then um i was also doing some writing for some local race papers and stuff and i think the racers started buying into into what i was writing about and um and i was crewing for for one of the guys my dad built engines for a guy named frank filsco and um they cornered me at an ira banquet uh at the end of 1992 and and asked me to do it. And back then, IRA was a club, and you had, you know, you had two-year terms. And uh, it's no longer a club, and no longer do we have terms. It's just, <laughs> it's, it's just kind of changed. Because the president uh, just got rid of it? <laughs> <laughs> 
partially. Um, <laughs> dictatorships do work. Um, <laughs> but, that, you know, I, like the club thing, is, it's, it's kind of, it was tough. It worked for a while, you know. And, um, but when the, uh, when the IRS got involved, uh, we decided just to incorporate. Now it's, it is what it is, you know. Yep. Yeah. yeah. And it's a lot of fun for us to watch. Uh, usually, part. you know, I mean, we have, you know, everybody has, uh, has a, like they aren't happy with, but for the most part, I think things are going pretty good. Yeah. So we actually just had on probably two of the all time best, um, racers with you. So we had Joe Rowe on not too long ago and we had Bill Baylog on, um, on the same night. So it actually was a really good night for us, but, uh, one question is, is Joe Rowe going to get in the Hall of Fame sometime? And what's life going to be like without uh, Bill Baylog since he's going outlaws? Um, Joe Rowe, uh, from a regional standpoint, you know, I, I think that's maybe one of the, the problems with getting in the Hall of Fame. I think regional guys get overlooked because some of the people on the voting panel, I think, uh, don't know anything. But, you know, they, you know what they, you know world outlaw type stuff and that's nothing against the outlaws it's just you know i don't think a lot of people are totally educated as to what else is going on they get more but, publicity uh, you could say yeah joe me. is uh i mean he was a great talent and he is but he was really good at he was a hell of a mechanic i mean his stuff uh, never broke he's clean racer uh and he, yeah he was he was you know and back then we really ran against some stout fields too you know because there weren't 360s and 305s and this and that it was just 410s and uh, so when uh, I think he won, geez, I think he won 61 IRA features, if I remember right, which is ironic because that was his car number two. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, he was solid. As solid as he can get, and he had some strong runs with the Outlaws, too. I remember he had uh, a few uh, top fives and stuff when the Outlaws would yeah. come to town. So, um, yeah, Joe's a hell of a racer, and, you know, I don't know what, even what to say about Baylog. I think they just posted something where he won. He's the third winningest driver of the last – decade or something like that you know with over 100 really? some feature wins so uh you know i i it, the outlaw thing is is going to be a bit of a test for him not not of not of his abilities bill bill baylor can drive as good as anybody yeah. but you know just trying to put a team together that's never been on the road for that long of a time you know i don't know that you know he's not going to have the luxury of having a, a you know or being able to fly to the races like some of these guys do you know he's going to be in the truck and he'll probably be driving it yeah. um you know, I, I think that's going to be the hardest thing for him is, is just managing the team as well as everything else he does. You know, he's a hell of a mechanic as well. well so, uh, I think he's from told... a driver's perspective, he's he, he can drive with the best of them, especially yeah. on three eights or smaller. I mean, he, he just doesn't have a lot of half mile experience, but uh, he can drive. Yeah, I think he told us that he's had two brand new motors in his whole career. Yeah, otherwise they always bought used ones. I would say that's probably accurate. Yes, <laughs> which which amazed us when he said it. It amazed me anyhow. And I think the other cool thing was he said, it, "Did he buy a a shock from Joe Rowe? He bought something for Joe Rowe that had like all the stats on oh, it, it and a whole stuff sheet with it." And Bill's like, "What the heck is this?" But that's your part of <laughs> Joe Rowe being a good mechanic and knowing all the ins and outs on everything, you know. You know, both those guys are probably not that different than a lot of good regional racers. You know, during the week, they they do everything or primarily everything themselves. You know, at least they at least Bill did. You know, I'm sure he's got some help now. But back in the day, 
when you first started with the IRA, they, they would do most of their own work and they'd have plenty of help on race day. Yeah. But during the week, it was just them, you know. I'm sure uh, Steve Beitler, would, would, I'm sure that, that's the way it was with him too. You know, ironically, um, A-Log started his, a lot of his sprint car career at Skagit, at Steve's yep. track. Yep. So it's kind of ironic there. Yeah, yeah absolutely. The North Pole nightmare, because then he said he'd come down that's to right. Washington to start racing. So. <laughs> that's right. Absolutely. That's right. Well, that's a nice segue into Beitler uh, going to, you know, Skagit. But first, um, what was your racing experience? When did you start, and how did you build all the way up to the world of Outlaws? Well, I've always wanted to race. You know, my dad was one of the original pioneers that actually was on the volunteer crew that helped build Skagit Speedway back in 1954. And him and my uncle both raced the first race there in 1954. And, of course, I came along in 1959, and four months later I was at the racetrack. So from that point forward, you know, I just – all I ever wanted to be was a racer. I would draw pictures of them. I'd ride my bicycle around town to anybody's house that had a race car at it and – and then uh, back then you had to be 18 to drive. So finally, my uh, my junior year, I lied about my age because I was a pretty big football player, you know. And I started crewing for a guy that raced up there. Then I bought a bunch of old parts. And my class project, my senior year, I built a build a race car as a class project and started racing locally. And you know, every year I just tried to improve my stuff. And I finally bought a bonafide, you know, torsion bar sprint car from a guy out of California. And you know, started racing regionally and started winning some races. And and then uh, there was a tour going to Australia in 1987, and it was late models. And uh, the guy put the tour together. I called him, and he says, we got any late model experience? I said, oh, yeah, yeah, I've run late models a lot. And so he came up to Skagit and, and uh, watched me run a sprint car, and we actually won that night, so that kind of helped. He goes, okay, you can be on the team. Well, I got to Australia. I'd never sat in a stock car in my life. I, I lied my ass off. <laughs> So I get over there to make matters worse. The steering's on the right-hand side. It's like, oh, my God. You know, we, we, we did pretty good over there. I ended up winning the uh, Australian, their big championship race the first year I was over there. I ended up winning that deal. And and then the second year, I went back out of four-year contract. And partway through the year, a friend of mine from Portland, older guy I knew, he called me up over there. And he says, hey, he says, uh, I got some pretty good dividends this year off my dad's business. He said, you really want to go run the Outlaws? I said, yeah. So I told him what I had. He went and bought a motor and a hauler for me, and we just piled all our crap in the hauler there in the spring of 89 and headed out. My goal was to make the whole year, and, you know, I had to come home a couple times and regroup, and, you know, I did painting and stuff back then. I painted a couple of houses and make a little money and head back out, but I made the whole year, and I think I finished like 13th in points or something, and went back out the second year, finished ninth, went out the third year, finished seventh, and points you know and it just got better and better i got hurt in 92 you know broke my shoulder and stuff but you know i just uh i never had the money to do it right i was always ran used stuff and wore out motors and but i just loved being on the road and then you know around 90 uh 97 a local guy sold parts wanted to sell his parts store and he didn't have much parts so i ended up buying it and thinking i'd just make a little side money with that well all of a sudden, I started out with a bank account. Uh, you know, I'll take a year or two off of racing because I'd, I'd been racing in Knoxville a little bit at that point, and a re- just kind of a regional area out of Knoxville. So, started Beitler Performance Center, ran that for about five years, and meanwhile, Skagit Speedway was changing hands about every two to three years, and just 
going downhill bad. And finally it came up for sale and I was able to put together a deal to buy it. And, uh, in, uh, 2001, I bought, bought the speedway and, uh, sold the parts store and stuff. And then about 2000, Oh, I don't remember 14 or something like that. I bought the lease for Grays Harbor raceway. And the next year I got the lease for the state fair park. And then I started a traveling sprint car series and a traveling modified series. So, you know, I got in with both feet. But I was going to say, you jumped off the deep end of the pool right away. Well, the nice thing about doing what I did was those three tracks were the only three dirt tracks in the state of Washington. By having them all under one umbrella, I could control the scheduling. I didn't have to worry about people schedule over me. I could move my cars and my fans around at different tracks for the big races. And, I mean, it was rocking and rolling. It worked worked very, very well. And, you know, and meanwhile, I... I started a sign building company and a trophy company and embroidery and started doing all my own apparel. Cause I just hate paying people to do stuff I can do. So it was, you know, <laughs> it was your 14, 16 hours a day all the time. And, you know, and after, you know, doing that for as long as I did, it just got to the point where I was getting pretty wore out and it was taking its toll on me physically. And my, my dad was kind of on me to, to slow down. And then he, he passed away in the fall of 20 and, I'd made him a agreement that I'd sell the racetrack and the following year, uh, Kevin Rudine had been a long time friend of mine. You know, he, he always wanted to buy the track, but he didn't want to run it. And I found a couple of people and put them together with him and they ended up buying the racetrack from me at the end of 2021. So I sold the lease to the other tracks and just basically sold out everything and retired. Yeah. Well, I ain't all bad. So how's retirement treating you then? Ah, uh, you know, it's a pretty good. I, I spent a lot of time down south in the sunshine. I can tell you that it rains a lot in Washington in the winter time, and spend my summers on my boat, my winters in my RV or down at a condo in, in Cabo. And you know, I came home for a week at Christmas time, but um, you know, I'm just getting ready to head back out Saturday morning, go back down where it's 80 degrees out. And enjoy it. <laughs> we got a few months before we're going to get to the 80s again here. So. <laughs> yeah, no. Oh uh, yeah, you know, I lived in Knoxville, Iowa for. About three years, you know, I'd come home for a few months in the winter time, but otherwise, you know, I based out of Knoxville, Iowa, for quite a while, and you know, I loved it back there. A little humidity kind of kicked my butt, but it was yeah. really uh, the people were great back there, and I just I still have a lot of friends. I come to the nationals every year. Yeah, that's awesome. So how did how did you guys both meet each other? How did you guys become good friends? <laughs> well, this this sounds good. I'll let, Steve, I'll let Steve tell the story because I'm the guy. I don't remember beating him. I busted my ass in Santa Fe one night. That's how I met him. And I'll let him well, tell actually, the story. Actually, it was, uh, actually on, this, on this night, you busted your ass in Hale's Corner. Oh, Hale's Corner. That's where it was, yeah. And, you know, Steve didn't, never really had a you know a, a bunch of crew guys. You know, he kind of did a really good job of picking up. He might have had a guy or two with him, but he was pretty good at picking up guys on the road, you know. But anyway... We had a, he, he crashed pretty good, and the car was not, it had to be carried into the trailer. So uh, me and a bunch of my buddies, we helped carry it in the trailer, you know, and just exchange pleasantries and stuff, you know. And then uh, I'm not sure if it was the same year or a year later, um, we met at, uh, again, at Knoxville, uh, you know, for the Nationals. It was a little, you know, party thing out in the parking lot, you know, and, uh you know, we had a few beers and, and become good friends and, and uh, become even better friends since. Yeah. 
Yeah, we've, we've shared a lot of hotel rooms together at conferences <laughs> and trade shows, and he proudly proclaimed to one of our talks at Knoxville one year that he, he asked, they asked if the promoters get along, and Steve said, well, I spent more nights in the hotel room with this guy than I have my own wife. <laughs> <laughs> but it's true. I mean, we, uh, we, we, we hung out together a lot, became great friends. You know, Steve comes out and visits every now and then out here. We always look forward to getting together in Florida and Knoxville and Yep, I gotta, I gotta. So he, he does the the cabo thing, and what, that's what old people do, guys. When you get old, you start finding the warm weather. I go down to Florida here. I'll be heading down there in a couple of weeks, and Steve will come down uh, to Daytona, you know, for the speed week stuff. He'll come a little early and hang out with us, and then uh, we went uh, to his place this year. We went out on his uh, on his boat and saw the what retirement's all about. And I kind of, I gotta admit, I kind of liked it. <laughs> <laughs> Well, how how old are you guys? Uh, let me see. I'll be I'm sixty four right now. I'll be sixty five in February. I am one year and two days younger than he is. <laughs> okay. Yeah. So so you're sixty three. You'll be sixty four this February. Yeah, we always kind of do a little birthday activity down. Uh, yeah. Down in down in the warmer weather. Summer. Yes. Yeah. In February. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> Oh. Absolutely, you know. Steve and I are uh, we're just really great friends. And anytime I got a question about the industry, you know, I call Steve and ask him his opinion, and he's really helped me a lot over the years with just decisions because he sees so many racetracks and knows what so many of them are doing. I'll say, well, "What do you think about this?" or "What's other people doing?" And he'll get me in touch with other tracks to talk to. And you know, you you talk about Joe Rowe get in the Hall of Fame, I'll tell you what, it's a it's a it's a crying shame that Steve Sinclair's not in the Hall of Fame. All the stuff he's done for sprint car racing and he keeps getting overlooked every year. And you know, I just hope that next year he gets in because he's he's probably the most deserving guy out there right now that's not in the Hall of Fame. Yeah. Yeah, that I believe it. When you run run something that long and you run it as successful as uh what you've run it, that's you know, that's true. So but what what I've read about both of you guys is the way that you guys have run your operations. It's like it's a family-run business. It's like you truly care about all your employees and everything else. Is that true? Uh, absolutely. You know, here's the deal. You know, you can be the best quarterback in the league. If you ain't got a good team around you, you ain't going to do nothing. And, you know, I might call the shots and make the final decisions, but... I, I've always tried to surround myself with smarter people than me because they make me look good. And that's <laughs> uh, and true. And I take care of them. I mean, you can, I, I just saw some of my, some of my officials and stuff over Christmas. I went and visited them and, you know, they, they, we had a great time talking about the good old days and how much they appreciated everything that I did. And it makes you feel good that they recognize that. Yeah. I've, I've just taken the kind of maybe a little lazier side where the, the series you know, series has its challenges, but running running a track and, and having to get involved with the concession side and, and way more employees and it, it, it's so much more difficult. So I mean, it's you know, I certainly if uh, so I, my day job is I work for K and K Insurance, and I sell insurance to racetracks and stuff. If there's any new promoters out there, you know, I, I kind of send them Steve's way because I, I think so many people over the, the racing is the small part of the business. You know, there's if you're trying to make money, there's there's far more 
things you've got to look at other than just what's going on on the racetrack. Um, you know, he can tell you down to the, the wrapper that's on your hot dog, you know, what, what his costs are. And I think a lot of track owners don't know those answers, you know? So, uh, you know, it, when we go to these promoters workshops, uh, you know, Steve's talks are, are probably some of the most informative there, there are. And, uh, you know, he throws a little humor in there sometimes and it, uh, he's a hell of a speaker. It was a good yeah. job. So, um, let's start with Beitler. Um, what are some of the hardest things you've had to deal with, with promoting and stuff? Well, you know, the biggest thing, there's several things that are difficult. I mean, obviously, you know, battling the weather, that's, whenever you don't, whenever you got a a event coming, big one, small one, don't matter. And you know you're going to have great weather. You throw out Plan B, Plan C, Plan D. You throw all them out the window because you can just stick with Plan A. You know. And the second thing is, it's a delicate balance keeping, you know, the racers happy, giving them enough money, keeping the sponsors happy, giving them enough value, keeping the fans happy by keeping the entertainment level real high and make it affordable to bring the family up on a weekly basis and then keeping your employees happy by being able to pay them enough money. And, you know, probably the hardest thing and the biggest reason so many racetracks fail is they just, they just don't have the capital to work with. They don't have the money to work with. And pretty soon they start cannibalizing themselves and they start laying off workers. They cut the purses and then the racers start going somewhere else and, you know, we paid we paid the highest purses of any tracks on the West Coast for a regular weekly race when I had Skagit, and Grays Harbor was the second highest because I just, you know, you got to you got to take care of the racers, but we took real good care of the sponsors, so we got a lot of, you know, we bring in, well, on a bad year we bring in about two hundred fifty thousand, probably the highest I ever brought in was close to four hundred thousand in sponsorships in a year, and. But you got to get out work that. I mean, all the time, and not just go see them once a year and get a check. You got to be in contact with them every month, and it's just—it's a lot of hours. The most difficult thing is just the hours you got to work to make it happen. Sure, it ain't gonna happen by itself. <laughs> maybe absolutely not. Maybe that's why we're—we don't have a whole lot of sponsors ourselves, so because <laughs> I'm not going out hitting up people all the time. So, <laughs> yeah, well, we're still having fun. Oh. What impressed me when I went down to visit him is one of the, you know we go out to dinner or something and we go to a we always go to a place that that sponsored his track. Yep. You know, so he's giving back as well. You know. Sure. And um, I yep. think that's what that's kind of where he was going. You can't just walk in and get a check. You know, you need to show them value and show them you believe in uh, in what they're doing as well. You bet. Absolutely. Always, always carry some tickets in your pocket when you're in there. Just. Help out some of their employees with some family passes, and the owners of the businesses appreciate that when you can give them something that they can spiff their employees with. It just, you know, it's a big circle. You, everybody's got to scratch everybody's back a little bit to make it work. Sure. You bet. You bet. Um, what What do you guys think right now as far as sprint car racing? Um, I don't want to get into the world of outlaws and the high limits and all that stuff, but. Do, do you kind of agree that sprint car racing is somewhat at, you know, the highest level it's been in for quite a while? And is, is that because of dirt vision and flow or, or why is that? Is it a Kyle Larson effect or what's going on? Go ahead, Steve. I'll, I'll finish up. <laughs> well, 
Well, I mean, there's no doubt it's getting more publicity than it than it ever had before, and if, whether it's from streaming or not, uh, it probably has helped, I guess, for sure. Um, yeah, I mean, the racers are definitely making more money than they ever had. This is, you know, a big opportunity for them, but at some point, uh, you know, the tracks have to benefit as well. Um, all the money just, you know, I, it's... It can't all just go to the racers. If there's if there's money being thrown around, if you want to keep these facilities nice and and, and make them where places where fans want to go, some of it's got to go back to the tracks. So there's there's a fine line there. But I mean, um, I mean, racers have this year this year coming up, they've got some tremendous opportunities because there's not just you know the, the two national series, but you have all the local guys. They're all getting purse increases too because everybody thinks they got to keep up with, with what's going on there to keep their guys happy and keep them at home. You know, not everybody wants their guys on the road. You know, you talked about, um, you know, me losing Bill. Bill's been a you know a hit or miss the past few years anyway. Yeah. And um, but but what I look at is with so I lost Brendan Crouch too. Yep, so yep. Brendan Crouch was my champion last year. He's doing high limits racing, and with Bill gone, it's eleven cha- championships in the last. You know. 20 some years let's say gone but there's that much more money going to be available to other guys now yeah yep. so um we had a guy um he's probably one of the best 410 racers in michigan um tyler rankin um just just announced he's going to run my whole deal so they, they see value in, in and granted we don't even race in michigan so um they'll be they'll be trucking over here all the time just to uh you know do what we're doing and, and, and maybe that's you know that's a stepping stone for them I, I knew when the crowds kid came in that that was that was short term you know i know they had bigger plans but it worked for them you know they got some great experience not just not just being there and being lap traffic or you know you're running 15 he got experience running up front and i think that's what made uh maybe made this jump to the next level even quicker sure but uh sprint car racing is definitely on the you know you, you know with the tony stewart's and uh and Larson's and the Casey Canes, they definitely brought notoriety to a bigger audience for sure. Yeah, I, I, I completely agree with everything Steve touched on. It's a lot of stuff I've been thinking about. And, you know, the rise of sprint car racing started long before Kyle Larson came into it. It was on the uprise as the short track asphalt stuff was kind of on the decline. And I just think that in this world with all the cell phones and iPads everybody lives on every day, we're in a hurry up instant gratification world. People want action. They want, you know, faster paced and dirt track racing gives that to you. You know, the sprint car, obviously the sprint cars, you know, on a shorter track, you know, three eighths miles smaller, 360 sprint cars are extremely exciting. So are the four tens, big tracks, four tens are better because, you know, just more power, but you get a slicked up, you know, short track, and I mean, the 360s put on a great race, the 410s put on a fabulous race, and um, this year is going to be an interesting year, because I, you know, I was racing with the Outlaws during the USA, and then I was a promoter during the NST days, and, you know, again, it's a delicate balance, there's a lot of new racers that's going to be able to go out and race for a lot of money, and a lot of local racers will be able to step up now and fill the holes, like in IRA, and some stuff like that, but you know, at the end of the day, at the end of the day, it's not going to work for either side if they don't take care of the racetracks because racetrack promoters, I mean, you look at the purses they're paying. The outlaw purse went up, and I, I haven't heard exactly how much high limits is, but I'm hearing it's in the high 70s. 
And if you got a race like that and the promoter loses money, he's going to cancel his second yeah. go around. He won't book him anymore. No. And that's, that's what, that was the downfall of the NST. And I know that hurt USA a lot too, as they just weren't going to some of the, some of the bigger venues that the world outlaws kept it. And, uh, you know, it's, it's going to be a real challenge for him. And I think it's great that everybody's putting more money in the racer's pocket, but they need to make sure that they're doing something for, you know, the track promoters. And, you know, I read a lot of stuff on the internet and what, just one thing I wanted to comment real quick on, you know, they've been kind of, you know, bashing the outlaws a little bit because they won't let their teams race anywhere else and raw, raw high limits because they, they can run anywhere they want. What a lot of people don't realize, I was racing with the outlaws when that whole rule thing came in. What they don't realize is the world outlaws benefits very, very little from restricting their drivers to go someplace else to make money on an off day. But what they're doing is they're protecting their tracks. If you book a world outlaw race, I can promise you that the track down the road, 30 miles, isn't going to pay Sammy Swindell or Doug Wolfgang an extra thousand bucks to show up and race. You promote them and advertise them. And that's what was happening back in the early 90s. That's why... Ted went to the 250-mile rule and 24-hour rule. And, of course, then when NST came in, they went to the, you know, they would start doing the sanctions or the, the charter memberships, whatever you want to call it. But, you know, the deal is if, if, if I got a racetrack and a guy down the road 30 miles got a racetrack and he pays two or three of the top guys from the series I'm booking to race over there the day before, the day after my race, I'm not going to like that. No. So... The, the the fact that the outlaws restrict their drivers where they can go, and even uh, Brian Carter, I talked to him, he said that they're taking the 4th of July off this year because just a lot of teams said it'd be nice to have a little break in the middle. Sure. It's, 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 it's way more work fielding a uh, national-level sprint car, whether you're with high limit or outlaws. There's way more work than it's ever been in the past. I watch these guys, and, you know, it's just such a grueling schedule. they got to have a break once in a while. You burn people out. Yeah. So anyhow, that's just something I just I've been kind of looking at. It's like you guys, you know, you don't get it. This isn't why the outlaws restricted. It isn't benefiting the outlaws that much. It's really benefiting the tracks that support the outlaws. So okay, you know, that's kind of kind of point a, to have out there. Well, I mean, that's like I said, I was raised with the outlaws. That whole thing started, and, you know, like Sammy and Doug and some of the other guys, they, their promoters right next door pay them an extra thousand bucks to come and they promote the crap out of them and sure. you wouldn't have to pay the outlaws for them. So that's just protecting your brand. And that's what that's all about. Yeah. Yeah. I just, I have to make a comment because I, uh, th this has really nothing to do with sprint cars, but <laughs> it's, <laughs> I, you, you talked about the pace of, you know, the events and how fast sprint car races are and, you know, they're fast and everything else. I, I personally think that's a little bit of the downfall of NASCAR is the races take four hours. And Abs I, I think some of those fans are switching over to sprint car because they're so quick and that's what people want nowadays. Well, it, they proved that the attention span is getting shorter. I mean, yeah. I would stand up on top of my control tower and literally as soon as they drop the checker flag, you look out, and everybody's picking their phone up and texting somebody or doing something there and, you know, that's why most of your, they've proven that most of your movies they make are an hour and 15 to an hour or six, or hour and 40 minutes or whatever. Very, very few movies have ever been successful that are over two hours because of a person's attention span. 
And you can't you can't keep people's attention span for three or four hours anymore. Maybe once or twice a year for Indy Five Hundred and stuff like that. But yeah. you know, it's uh, people get in, get them in there. You start your races on time at seven o'clock. You get done, and by nine to nine thirty, they love it. The kids aren't tired, wore out. They can go home and. You know, you don't have a bunch of problems, so. Yep. Kids yeah. aren't crabby. Or you can be like us yeah. and go spend another three hours in the pits. <laughs> well, yeah, but that's, that's the luxury, gives you. You can go down the pits. You can stop at the bar on the way home if the family wants to stop at their favorite restaurant on the way home. But, you know, I've seen it. You, you start going 10, 30, 11 o'clock, and the fans are leaving, and their kids are all cranky, and the mothers are mad at their kids. Well, they're just tired and cold. They've been yep. sitting there for three and a half hours. Yep. You know, you just can't do that. Yeah, I think on the dirt track side, um, if you're going to run a premier class, you know, whether it be sprint cars or late miles or something, you don't need five, six, seven other classes. No. You know, I, I, I personally can't stand it when we have more than two or three support classes with us. You know, it just it just drags it out. And, um, you know, I, I also don't like running on the track after it's wore out. You know, if, if, I'm, if I'm the promoter or if I have any say in the order of events, I always make sure that, that we're, you know, by a quarter to 10 or so, if I have my way, no later than that, IRA features rolling out. We don't have to be last. I want to be, the last thing I want to do is see people leaving before the main, before the headline event, you yep. know, or, or, you know, they're, they're carrying the kid out or whatever. And, yep. you know, I, the support classes had more fans than the, the headliner because people had to leave. Yeah. You know, so I'm a big believer of, uh, at a certain point in time in the program, I don't care what the order of events is, it may get changed because the headliner is going to go, you know, before it gets too late. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, and, I love it if they can be done by ten o'clock because I stand a chance of being home by midnight. <laughs> yeah, well, that's it. You know, your racers, your fans. The other thing is, like where I'm at, there's a certain amount of neighbors close to my track, so I have a four-cylinder import class, which aren't very loud. I always run them last. Oh, sure. Because I get my sprint cars done, and they're done by nine. 15 or 920 whatever then i put the, the we call them tuners you put the tuners out there and you're not bothering our neighbors because the sprint cars are considerably louder but oh yeah it gives the people that want to leave early a chance to leave early and get out of there and you know just get home and you know yeah without yes. a doubt so um going to the ira um tell us a little bit about the upcoming season i mean is the schedule out and and I mean, you got certain races are bigger than others, or what do you want to say to promote the whole thing? Um, we released, we're, uh, we've been releasing the schedule in uh, by the month, and we were a little behind on waiting to see what the outlaws and high limits were doing because we kind of got. I don't like having to do the schedule twice. Yep. So when they once they got their stuff figured out, then we start working on ours. It, it's primarily done. You know, I'm just trying to build a little hype and doing it month by month. But we uh, we released um, the month of June just today, as a matter of fact. Okay. And um, so the the, st the first parts of the schedule, we, we're going to a lot of places we've never been before. Oh, or, that's or cool. We haven't been to in a long time. So uh, we're actually going. Uh, we're going. Well, we're doing a four race swing in uh, in Indiana at, at three tracks IRA's never been at. So we're going to Lincoln Park, Bloomington, Tri State. And then uh, we haven't been to Terre Haute in 25 years. We're going. Uh, we got we got a race scheduled in Terre Haute on the way home. So four races in Indiana. Uh, we added Ogilvy, Minnesota, uh, the night before Cedar Lake in May to make a nice combination out of that. Um, 
Mississippi Thunder, which is going to put on a hundred thousand to win uh, modified race this year. It's on the western side of Wisconsin. We're going to go there. Uh, it's our first Wisconsin race, by the way. We're going to go there, and then we're going to go to Beaver Dam the next night. So trying to put some combinations together because we got some guys that travel in to race with us now uh, from Illinois and stuff. So to make it worth their while, uh, it's, it's it's best to have some combinations. So uh, Steve mentioned uh, the Outlaws were taking off the 4th of July weekend. Actually, I think High Limits is too, I think. We, we are as well. Um, you know, if a guy wants to go run or something, he can run out to Knoxville or something that night. But we're going to – we're giving the guys a few weeks off too because we're going to be doing more double headers than normal. So we got to, you know, yep. give a little break. But everybody else raising their purse. We're raising our purse too. Uh, it's never going to be less than 4000 to win, 400 to start, and a lot of shows are paying more than that. Um, which for a regional deal isn't, you know, isn't bad because it was just, wasn't long ago before, you know, we were just 2,200 to win. Yeah. So, um, everything's going up. Um, it, you know, I, I'm, I'm excited about the years. Um, we've got, uh, I think most everybody we had last year primarily is coming back and, uh, you know, we're getting some good young guys moving up from the three sixties, which is important for us. And, uh, I'm, I'm really I'm really pretty excited about it, to be honest with you. For an old guy, <laughs> So what, since you said 360s, do you have a lot of 360s there? And is, is there still a lot of 360s in Washington? I, I think uh, there is. But to be honest, right here by us, by Husets and, you know, stuff, there there isn't a ton anymore. Um. So the 360s by us aren't, they're not ASCS engines. They're more. They're more of a, a restricted 360, and it's kind of the motor's pretty much just something they can run here. I think they're not com- really overly competitive when they go elsewhere. And I think you know. Um, I think a lot of them are seeing a lot of my better guys right now have, have come from the local 360 rank. Okay. So um, you know they're moving up. They're seeing what we have to offer. Travis Aaron's ran, ran third with us in points last year. And he was the you know the 360 champion the year before, so so a lot of guys are moving up, which is good uh, for us. And um, I, I think the other thing you're seeing, you talked about Houston's, you know Houston's to Knoxville, and 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 we're getting there. You know the the pay is good enough, and the full tens are getting are getting so much better that I think it's you know if you have a, if you're spending a lot on a 360 or you have a a really good operation, but maybe you don't have a 14 engine, maybe it's time. You know, I think you're going to see that, especially with high limits in the world of outlaws starting to dip down into Texas and Oklahoma at the start of the season now. I think you're going to see a lot of the ASCS guys uh, add a 410 to their arsenal. Okay. Because uh, 410 racing, I, you know, still, I, I think that's where it's at right now. Um, you know, the engines aren't really all that cost difference. Um, so I, I certainly think it's probably worth, you know, worth getting one and, uh, and running for the bigger money. Yeah. Out in the West Coast, is 360s still pretty good? I know we uh, we sponsor uh, Sean Quinn a little bit with Chase Johnson, so we know that 360s still run quite a bit out there. Yeah, they got a pretty good 360 class. You know, when Kevin Rudine bought Skagit, you know, he loves 410, so he wanted to revive the 410 class. So, you know, they've, they've brought them back pretty good. They probably got... You know, I'm I'm thinking they got 14 to 16 of now Skagit the four tens, and you know, and Kevin's paying them really good money, so a lot of guys are wanting to step up and and buy buy four tens. But 
you know, he's he's got the whereabouts and the beans to, you know, pay a lot of money. He, obviously, he's put up a hundred thousand to win that one race in the fall, and and uh, Kevin's just a huge supporter of sprint cars. And like I said he likes four tens, so he's pumping a lot of money into the four ten purse to get guys to buy four ten motors. So I know last year, I think I I think there were between fourteen and sixteen four tens is what they had. Yeah, you bet. You bet. Oregon, Oregon's kind of soft down there right now. There's not a lot. There's a few 360s. Even that's getting slim in Oregon. Then California, of course, they got the NARC series. And yep. then, you know, some 360 stuff down there. But there's just seems like the 410s have gotten real healthy the last, you know, the last three or four or five years. There's more and more 410 series starting and more and more tracks running 410s. So that that's a good sign, you know. I, I guess I guess the 360s have just got so damned expensive, you might as well buy a 410 and yeah. race for more money because they yeah. always pay the 360s less money. So yeah. it used to be the 360s were affordable. Now they're 50000 55000 bucks for a good 360. And, you Throw know, another 10 on top of that and you got a pretty good 410. Exactly. Or you buy a reconditioned one for 40 and yeah. you're in business. So, yep. Uh, yep. All right. Well, we're we're gonna run through some rapid fire questions at you guys, um, and then if there's anything you guys want to talk about that we didn't bring up, feel free to do that after this. Um, Which one are we gonna have I, to go first? I I think let's have Sinclair go first, and then Beitler, you can answer after him. So okay, th these are for <laughs> these the are most really part, complicated questions. Yeah. So, what's your favorite flavor of ice cream? Vanilla. Chocolate chip cookie dough. Okay. <laughs> I'd eat both of them. Um, cat or dog person or neither? Dog. Both, mainly dogs. Okay. Do you have any hobbies outside of racing? <laughs> um, oh, go ahead, Steve. Sorry. I don't think I don't have any time for any other hobbies. <laughs> gonna say, <laughs> we're going to get now this what, with the retired guy. This might take a little bit. So. <laughs> Ah, I mean, I like traveling. I love boating. I love being on my boat. Love being in my RV. So my my hobbies right now is boating and RV. Okay. So have you ever been caught in a bad storm out in the waters? Not yet. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I oh sorry, Steve, go ahead. <laughs> oh yes, but <laughs> just a little lake. I can't imagine the kind of stuff that you can run into. But yes, I have actually. <laughs> no, I haven't. I got lots of good navigation and lots of good weather apps. I'm a fair weather boater. I'm not, you know, if I stay on the inside, I'm good. If I get out on the outside of the ocean, I get into, you know, 12, 14 foot swells. But, you know, uh, I'm a fair weather boater. You just, I, I go out the good weather. I'm thinking seasick if I was on 12 to 14 foot 12, swells. He's got a lot, lot bigger boat than what we got, Tom. Well, yeah. <laughs> We're into the when the waves get to be two or three feet on the lakes, then it's time to get our ass to shore. <laughs> uh, mine don't even feel those. Mine, I mean, mine's a nice boat. It's a sixty footer, so it takes the big waves pretty good. There you go. You didn't say six zero, not sixteen, guys. Yeah, six, I, yeah. I, I I caught that, but we're just starting to stand back up. Just <laughs> <laughs> a little drop, it'll be okay. Yeah, I can see why you like to go down there and go boating with him. Or is that oh, called yachting? Well, I, you know, it's technically a yacht, but I know it's a boat to me. I tell people I own a boat. I don't, I'm not arrogant like that, but I enjoyed having Steve and his wife Elaine out. So that's a motorhome that floats. That's it, yeah. <laughs> that works. 
So you're saying yeah. you basically got two motor homes, one on dry land and one where it's a little wetter. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yep. How about a favorite movie, gentlemen? Oh, God. Um, <laughs> Family can pass. Man. Family Man. Nicholas Cage. Oh, okay. Family Man. Never heard of that one. Look it up. Uh, Tia Leone's the girl, I think. Oh, I see why you like it now. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But uh, I like, I have two, Forrest Gump and, and Christmas Vacation with Chevy Chase. Those are my two go-to movies every year, multiple times. Yeah, Just when you saw got the watch. movie Ferrari last night. Ferrari's actually a movie called Ferrari, about Enzo Ferrari's life. Yep. Oh, that's that new one they just released. Yeah, I haven't it's seen it released that Christmas night. I went last night. Yeah. Yep. Is that a good one then, I take it? It was okay. It, was, it wasn't what I expected. I thought it'd be like more like Ford versus Ferrari, something like that. It was more about his life. Okay. And uh, and how they how they built a brand and stuff. It was, it was interesting. You bet. Uh, do you prefer snow or do you prefer rain? Snow. Snow. Okay. Neither one of them are promoting racing when it's snowing. <laughs> I don't like the rain. Snow with some sunshine, I'm a happy guy. There you go. Um, if you were going to be stranded on an island, so this would be if your floating motorhome broke down somewhere, but if you were going to be <laughs> stranded on an island somewhere, what type of music would you have to have long to listen to? Southern rock. There you go. Yeah, classic rock, southern rock, absolutely. Yeah, that'll work. We can, we, can, we can ride along and listen to that. Do you, do you have a favorite place to go out to eat? Uh, yes, uh, there's a little Italian place here in town called Bimbo's. It's uh, excellent. Yes, it's very good. Do you say Bimbo's? Bimbo's. That don't yes. sound very Italian. It, I don't know. <laughs> it was here when I moved here. <laughs> it's, uh, it's, it's, it's good. It's really good. Well, there's a, a restaurant that sponsors a racetrack called Bob's Burgers and Brew, which is a great place. And then my second one, I was just there last night, is called Anthony's seafood it's got the best seafood in the west coast that's good anything that's got burgers in the thing is good with me <laughs> yeah yeah bob's is pretty good but yeah i like the seafood too at anthony's as long as it ain't sushi so many guys that like sushi and to, i ain't into that me to both places he's taking me to both places when i went and visited him yep. that's good um how about a favorite holiday christmas yeah, hands down Christmas. I just, I love Christmas. I love giving. To me, I get way more out of giving somebody something that really helps them than I, I don't give a crap about getting stuff. I don't need anything. I just, Christmas is big for me. You bet. What, uh, what app on your phone do you use the most? Facebook. I use, uh, well... Probably as far as an app, I use LinkedIn and then the, the weather channel because I watch my weather all the time up here and what I'm doing. Yep. I guess, I'm guessing the weather if you're going boating. So Yeah, they got one called Windy. I use it quite a bit. But I don't I, I, I don't even have a Facebook account. I never set one up. I guess someday I should. Yeah. yeah. For what it's I'm worth, I didn't set one up tech. either. My daughter did it for me because <laughs> I ain't smart enough. <laughs> I'm not very high tech. Yeah. Well, that's why we're getting along so good tonight. <laughs> um, how many speeding tickets do you think you've gotten in your lifetime? Fifteen. 
Oh, that's holy a... shit, Steve! You had a freaking lead foot <laughs> when I was younger. Yeah, I I didn't get any speed tickets till I turned eighteen. I got three that year, and then I probably had three more since then. So, um, the last last speed ticket I got was about five years ago. I was late to the airport to go to the Chili Bowl. The cop pulled me over and he says, "What are you doing? Going to a race?" And I said, "Well, actually, as a matter of fact, I am." <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, he still gave me a ticket, though. But, uh, <laughs> I've had, you know, I know I've had, like, well, that one back there, too. Yeah, like seven, I think. I've had about seven speeding tickets, maybe eight. I, I got two in the same day. About 19, <laughs> a 19, 80. That's bad luck, man. Yep. <laughs> yeah, that's, uh, that's pretty I had to good. Go to, they, they, Illinois made me go to driving school after that. Yep. <laughs> well, Imagine that, that you, you guys, got caught in Illinois. You guys have done really well. We've had some guy just said it'd cover the garage wall. Well, I, <laughs> trust me, I've talked myself out of I don't know how many speeding tickets. I don't know, maybe I'm just a good schmoozer, but I've talked myself out he of a couple a of I've talked myself out of a couple of D, DUIs. I've talked myself out of a couple of speeding tickets. It's just yeah, I I kind of clean my act up a little bit now cuz I'm not going to be that lucky forever. Uh this one might be interesting. So what what's the fastest you've ever driven on the highway or been with someone in the front seat on the highway? Oh, wow. Um, I probably, I don't know. I, don't, I, I've always had, I used to have really cool cars when I was a kid. I had an SS 396 Chevelle. But I never really, you know, the top end thing wasn't a big turn on. You know, I was more accelerating out of a corner or some guy. Um, I don't know. I've probably gone 110, 115. I think I rode, you know, a little faster than that with somebody else. Made me nervous. And, um, I was a passenger in the back seat of a rental car at Knoxville Raceway. <laughs> John McCoy still has his hands etched into the dashboard. We were going into turn three and realized there was somebody there working on the fence or something. And we hauled her in there and me and McCoy were, were about wetting ourselves. And uh her hit the wheel. <laughs> yeah. A couple of years ago. Yeah, well, the, the story on that one is I, I got this rental car, and they didn't have the one. I, I was over in Omaha. I was going back for the uh, for the dedication of the Brian Clausen suite, so I flew into Omaha. I rented a car, and they didn't have the one I wanted, so they gave me this, like, Xfinity SL or some damn sporty car. Man, this thing had power. So I'm coming across Iowa. It's about, I don't know, 1 in the morning or something. I said, let's just see what it'll do. Man, I stomped down on that thing, ran up to about 125, then it shifted into high gear. I rolled out of it at 152 because I got thinking, well, guys, there's a deer up here. I'll never see it in time, you know. <laughs> so I, had, I had this rental car up to 152 going down the freeway heading toward Des Moines. And the next day, we all went to lunch. So they were they had this man lift working on the fence or the scoreboard or something up there in turn three and four. So John says, let's drive out the track. I want to... I want to see how they're doing. And I was telling them how fast this car was. So we pulled on the track and headed down toward turn one. I said, hang on, guys. I freaking nailed it. John is screaming at me down the back stretch. We went into turn three, and I didn't know if it was going to make it or not. I guess kind of pushing. And I looked over. I, we come out of turn four. I said, let's do another lap. And he says, pull over. And he was swearing. And I said, look, our insurance guy's in the back seat. What could go wrong? <laughs> 
I'm hoping our insurance guys aren't listening to this question tonight. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. I mean, John was, John was crapping his pants over there. Slow this thing down. Let me out. Let's just do another lap. He wasn't going to let that happen. <laughs> I just can't imagine what the guys on the man lift were thinking as we were approaching. It's like, no, we were close. We were close to 100 miles an hour going into turn three in that rental car. Oh, shit. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, yeah, well, about two-thirds way down the backstretch, it went past 85, and it was still pulling. So I quit looking at the speedometer and started paying attention to the corner at that point. Well, that was probably a good call. Yeah. yeah. So I'm guessing the shocks were a little soft on the right side is why it didn't corner oh, was, so well. I was worried about breaking the rim or the spindle or something on the right front. Then it would have really been a bad situation. But, hey, it was fun. Nobody got hurt. Then you got to get it hauled out of the track, though, and get it put in a ditch somewhere to turn it in. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Yeah, oh. yeah. So 152 is the fastest I've ever gone on the on the on the road on a racetrack. 176 at at the at the Sacramento Mile. They had me on a radar gun qualifying one time on my sprint car at 176. That's awesome. So that's, that's fast. That's Holy fast. Crap. Yeah, fast I ever been. That's too fast, probably. Yeah. Yeah, you don't need to run them sprint cars on the miles anymore. That's just they're no. not made for that. No, that's a they're, they're, well. That's why you don't see any mile tracks anymore either. Yep. Everything yep. was getting too fast. Um, yep. Two days. Switching gears from driving too fast. Um, what's your favorite drink or go-to beverage? I'm more of a beer guy, but I do like sipping on like a uh, whiskey that's got like a little. Like, like, I was just drinking, um, uh, what the hell is it? Smoky, what the hell is it called? Old Smoky Salted Caramel. Okay. I had a little bit of that earlier tonight. That's excellent. So I, I like whiskey with a little bit of sweetness to it. You know, to take a little bit of the burn away. Yep. But I, I am more of a beer guy. Yingling. Yingling. I love yingling. Yingling is awesome. Yeah. I like, I like Crown Royal, and I really like Crown Apple, the apple-flavored Crown Royal. You bet. I'm a, I'm on the rocks or guy. mixed? What's that? On the rocks or mixed? Well, I used to drink it on the rocks, but then I kept falling over too soon, so I got to put a little little mix in it to lean it down now. So not much, so just a splash. Yeah, <laughs> just to, just to change the color a little. So just enough, though. Yeah, because otherwise you just start, you know, you start falling over. You get old. You don't have the balance you used to. Sounds like both these guys would like that shine we got in the fridge. Yeah, the you, you guys need to try the stuff from Bronson. It's Smith Creek uh, Moonshine, and it's salted caramel. Oh, oh wow. Can't go wrong with salted caramel. I'd be oh. having that. Yeah. And salted smooth. caramel Crown Royal is really good, too. Deliver some of that to the IRA souvenir trailer at the Nationals. Hey, you... We'll bring you some. You, you, uh, you I have your cell number. I'll, I'll, uh, I'll send you a text. I'll find you. There you go. I'll tell you what I, I'll tell you what I got out here in my possession. And I'm, I'm proud of it. One of my close friends, he's an older guy, was connected real heavy with NHRA and, and, and NASCAR. Well, he was personal friends with Junior Johnson. And he went back to Junior Johnson and Junior Johnson made a, you know, he's a, he's a famous moonshiner, of course, yep. but he had a company, he made a real high end quality, vodka called midnight moonshine well in the back he also still had his still where he made his own authentic moonshine so my buddy brought me out a quart of his authentic moonshine he autographed the the quart jar and stuff and gave it to me so i've got that i haven't drank it yet but it's still sitting in my office that's awesome we will have to the gentleman a friend of ours we stay with slick down in pella when we come to the nationals he's the one that hooks us up with this stuff 
No, I got my own supplier you now. You got your own supplier? Oh, yeah, no, we my, don't need... My, we... my nephew's down there right now bringing back four more. Oh, okay. I got a guy from Alabama that comes down parks close to me every year at Volusia, and he brings his apple pie moonshine down there every year, and that stuff is good. Yeah, you're talking about your office. You're talking about the boat or the RV? Which office you're talking about? <laughs> no, actually, my my office at my house right now is where I got it still. Uh, a place you never spend any time at. That place, right? Yeah, I spend about three weeks a year here now, so it'll get transferred to one of the mobile ones here directly. <laughs> oh yeah, oh yeah. I got plenty of crown on both of them. Uh, so, last question for you is: If money was no object. Is there a car, pickup, vehicle, whatever that you've always dreamed Boat. that you could have owned? Wow. Original 427 Shelby Cobra. Man, that was quick. I'm a I'm a real fan of the 68, 69 Camaros. Yep. Yeah, I'm a real fan of them. I mean, a bigger boat wouldn't hurt nothing either, but 68 or 69 Camaros, that's probably my, my grandpa car I'm going to get someday. Yeah, yeah. I'd, I'd awesome. take either one of them that you guys mentioned there. Them would be nice rides. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I don't know if there's anything else you guys wanted to bring up, but man, this, this was a lot of fun. We're sure glad we had you guys on, and um, it's been an honor for us. Well, well thanks for calling, man. Yeah. You bet. It's always, I always fun to help out. Wednesday night. Awesome. <laughs> Yeah, it's always fun to help out and have a little bit of fun. And, you know, hopefully your listening audience likes what we're doing. You bet. Well, we hope we'll see you guys down at uh, Knoxville maybe then. Of course. All right. You guys take care. All right. Bye. See ya. Thank yep. you. Bye, fellas. Bye. Hey, you were right again, but it was fun. That was. That and was. And the information and the knowledge again there, too. Yeah. You know, like earlier in the night we had Deuce on, the information he had, and then even the different things they said about how to promote and what to take care of, things we don't think of as the average racer or yeah. race fan. We ain't no racer. You know, we always think, you know, racers first. We think fans probably second. And the tracks third. Yeah. But they brought tracks up, like, first every yeah. time. Yeah. You know, you, you got to – you got to take care of the tracks and you know unfortunately that's why some of the tracks probably are closing around yeah. you know yep. the country too yep. is, you see them shutting down which is a sucky thing but you know they're they're like number one thing is you got to take care of the track so but they they did out absolutely awesome though i mean there there's a reason why they're both very successful yep they speak very well they they know what they're talking about that is for sure yep so we got to bring a little shine to the track <laughs> Shouldn't go for a boat ride, but we got to go a long ways to get on that boat. Yeah. I don't know if I would go out in the ocean. I'm I'm a chicken Yeah, but he's a fair weather boater, so I'd, I'd be all right in fair weather. Yep. Worst yeah. thing you're doing is hanging over the rail puking all day. <laughs> uh, I don't know how I'd do either on the ocean with the with the continuous motion, but hey. Never be... know until you try, Tom. No, no. Like I said, worst thing that happens is you feed the fish. Yeah, yeah. So. But anyway, thank you, Steve and Steve, for being on the show. It was a lot of fun. Really appreciate you guys taking the time to be with us. And until we see what you got lined up next week, bud. You bet. We'll see you, everyone.